everyone, and welcome to the Granite Cornerstone Podcast, episode number 21. How is everybody doing tonight? Doing awesome. Doing well. Doing All great. Right. Uh, joining us this evening, uh, we have uh, John Glover, Scott Newberry, and Chris Busby. Hello, guys. Hey, everybody. And our topic of discussion tonight is an interesting one. It's one that I uh, am very much excited about talking about. And before we get to it, I do want to give the disclaimer. Everything we say here is is our opinion. Nothing is meant to be taken as right or wrong. So just go along with us. But tonight we're talking about the progressive line. Um, thank you, Scott, for the title and the musical inspiration for this episode. Uh, for those of you looking for this episode on YouTube, it will be copyright stricken. So you can find us on Facebook and wherever you download it. <laughs> um, I warned you. you yeah, I know. You. you did warn me, but you know what? I had to do it. Um, so here we are. Um, so like I said, tonight's topic is the progressive line. And I guess let's just start with the, the easiest question of all. And, and to answer this question, we're going to go to the most recent participant in a progressive line, uh, a sitting master who has recently uh, made appointments and, and been a participant as a member of a progressive line. John Glover, what is a progressive line? Uh, progressive line is the line of... Uh, officer chairs whereby, at least in theory, uh, a prospective master in some distant future can be uh, trained, essentially gain experience at the various chairs, um, both in terms of uh, Masonic culture, ritual, operating of the lodge, you know, from a business perspective, uh, all those things. Uh, so that hopefully by the time he makes his way to the East, he has enough experience that it's not a completely alien experience for him. So I'm going to um, also preface this with, I believe everyone on this call, all four of us are members of lodges that, that participate in a progressive line. I'm not entirely sure uh, at the lodge level, you know, what sort of other systems exist. So if you are a member of a lodge that doesn't traditionally use a, a progressive officer line, uh, please feel free to let us know in the comments. I, I'd love to hear from you and, and sort of hear about how you do things. Um, and also the Grand Lodge of New Hampshire uses a progressive line starting at the position of grand junior deacon, uh, which is an appointment made by the uh, incoming grand master. And that position is, that person is intended to sit through that position until they uh, eventually exit the grand east as a past uh, grand master. So I know in New Hampshire, it's a very popular system. So we're going to really be talking about that. But if anybody has any input about a non-progressive line, uh, we'll try and get that in as well, because I'd love to hear about the alternatives to the system. So let's just start with, with a simple question, right? What are the pros and cons of the progressive line? Where, well, I say a simple question, that is not a simple question by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but let's talk about, you know, what the progressive line does for a lodge and, and why so many lodges choose to use it. Chris, what, what are your thoughts? You know, I think one of the intended benefits of a progressive line is to, is to really participate in all aspects ritualistically is certainly a big part of that and and in other ways to be able to you know kind of see what the guy that's ahead of you in the line is doing um at the minimum right obviously you're really looking at the whole line i think all the way up but really to 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 to, to learn and be mentored directly by those that are that are ahead of you in line and also to 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 again, do the same on the other side, right? To make sure that the guys below you know, uh, know the, the job that they're in 
um, in, in what in what they're meant to do going forward. So it's really meant to be uh, sort of a an officer mentor program. I think that's certainly true in the in the blue in the, from the Blue Lodge perspective and from a Grand Lodge perspective, um, just as much if if not even more uh, to to make sure that. Um, that man has all of the information that they need in order to be able to be successful in their next role. And then eventually, um, ideally as worshipful master of the lodge. So Scott, I know you love to play the devil's advocate in our, um, <laughs> our podcast prep calls. So, you know, we talked about some of the benefits here, right? Chris has mentioned some of that. What are some of the drawbacks of a progressive line? Where do we see this concept sort of fail in its, in it's either its execution or, or in the idea behind it in general? Well, I think the biggest drawback to the progressive line is you're really rolling the dice on an individual and saying, yep, he's going to be around, depending on where you start the line, depending on how many terms each person sits per chair. Let's, uh, I'll use the, the typical five officers, the two deacons, the two wardens, the master, and people sit two years in each chair. That's a 10-year commitment from an individual. Uh, I'd say that's probably the biggest challenge is, is that you're betting on someone being around for 10 years. And while most Masons hope to be around for much longer than that, we do know that life happens. Uh, and if you're working with a progressive line, you can suddenly have a hole in the middle of your line, then you got to deal with that. And that's it, it, the progressive line gives you stability, but by the same token, uh, a hiccup can cause a, a huge you know, crash of that stability system and cause the lodge to scramble and figure out what they're going to do next. That's so that's an interesting point. I, I think we talk a lot about obviously, you know, what a progressive line is and, and sort of how it works, but there is an expectation set. And I think that, you know, I, I sat in my lodges, my lodge uses a progressive line. And uh, before I got to the East, I think I sat for eight years, which was actually a shorter than usual period for the progressive line. But in that time, we also had officers drop out of the progressive line. We had to replace those officers. So, you know, what kind of um, expectations are set when you ask an officer to join the line? So, John, obviously, you just mm -hmm. sort of went through this. Yeah. Um, you know, when you talk, where do you start your progressive line? At the stewards or deacons? It kind of depends. Uh, when I came in, it was at the stewards. Um, but previously it has been at the deacons and at the moment it's kind of back to the deacons uh, and that's largely because of just the available officer um, uh, candidates that we have uh, at the time i came in it was on the tail end of a period where we brought in a lot of new master masons and actually had some brethren that wanted to be officers that couldn't be because we didn't have enough chairs to fill you know how many how many lodges do you hear say that these days uh, zero exactly um I got lucky, uh, at least I consider myself lucky. I was asked to be um, a junior steward. And uh, at the time it was spelled out that this is part of the progressive line, the expectation, the general, I should say general expectation because they, they caveated it with obviously life happens. It's, it's not, you're not signing on the dotted line like you're joining the military for the next however many years. Uh, but the expectation- Says you, that says you. Yeah, says you, right. <laughs> <laughs> but the general expectation was that, um, you would eventually make your way to the east. That said, the senior deacon's chair uh, is considered kind of the point of no return. That any any chair up to the senior deacon, you want to step out of line, no problem, no questions asked, it's fine. 
once you cross from there into the wardens, then you're essentially committing yourself to the east. That's that's really the expectation. Um, that, and just like what you uh, experienced, Tim, uh, you know, it took me eight years to get from junior steward to the east, and we have two year terms as well. So yeah. we had guys step out of line one or two with health issues. Um, so I, I uh, the only chair I skipped was senior steward, but only spent a year as junior and senior deacons each respectively. Um, but still, from what I understand uh, across the jurisdiction and in other jurisdictions, eight years to work your way up through the line typically is is actually rather long nowadays. Usually it's more like four or five years from what I've heard yes, anecdotally. Five years, yeah. I, um, I, when, when I went through the line, we did one year term. So I went five years through the line. Yeah, so I, I consider myself very blessed to have had that time to work my way up through the uh, through the line, and at my lodge, um, thankfully, well, I should say that at least one thing that we do that works very well for us that, that seems to is each of the chairs, especially once you hit senior deacon, um, has additional responsibilities placed on it. Not just ritualistically, we all know that that's obvious from the ritual book. Uh, but for example, the senior deacon is traditionally the Grand Lodge representative. So he is expected to go to the Grand Lodge. The junior warden, um, uh, he becomes the head of the finance committee. Uh, and so he's, he's actually got his feet wet um, in, in the business of the lodge. The senior warden uh, is dealing with special ladies and you know he has additional uh, responsibilities as well. So it the general responsibilities of the lodge are spread out across the officer corps, but they're traditionally assigned to specific chairs so that as you work your way up, you gain more and more experience into how the lodge works. Um, it's when it works well, it's great. But as you described, though, it all it takes is one guy to drop out or have a couple that are coming in at the bottom that maybe aren't aren't as strong and it the brittleness of it can really show well the, so it, i'm no, sorry ahead, no what i was going to say is you, you describe a and, and and john i'm very impressed with what you said and this is not something I, yeah that i've heard you say before because you know the the committee assignments and all of these uh, other aspects which actually mirror more of what my from my experience grand lodge does right you know, at each step, there is a specific additional non-ritualistic, you know, opportunity for a brother to become a part of a specific aspect of the lodge in order to grow. And I will tell you that my experience was the complete, probably the complete opposite of that. And that's not to detriment any, any of the brethren or officers, past masters of my lodge. I, I think in my particular example, our lodge had gotten very, 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 very small to the point to where, you know, there was question, right, as to whether or not that there was going to be a future. So from that perspective, there is no sort of you're going to be I mean, you're on the finance committee, but everyone in the top fives in the finance committee and the, the masters essentially chairing it. it. It's still not, you know, not specific. OK, as senior deacon, you do this beyond ritual right uh, as far as the business of the lodge is concerned so um so that's a very different experience i know tim you just kind of said you know agreed you know saying that is like that's that's even more structured than than i've seen in in, in lodges I, that, I have that to agree tend with, to have that structure i have to agree with that as well because i've seen in lodges scott you're agreeing with me that never happened. yeah i know it's a strange thing right on the calendar right now um <laughs> but um 
you know, one of the things that, you know, that I've come across is, and it's becoming less and less now, but because our older generations are, are leaving us, unfortunately, but yeah. there was this very large tendency in lodges to have specific brothers do the same thing, regardless of where they sat in the lodge room. So we always, we know that brother Smith always throws the table lodge. He does it in June. He does it on the third Saturday and we can all expect it to happen. And it's, and we did see the same thing in ritual. And then all of a sudden, Brother Smith's no longer there, and nobody knows how to do a table lodge, because he's the one who's done it every year for the last twenty years. So it's it's one of the things that you know he may have picked it up as he went through the line, and then he's gone, and it wasn't associated with anyone learning something as they move through the line. So I think that's a it's a huge piece that we miss out on is people will go through the line, and they may never get another thing to do the entire time they're in the line, other than learn the ritual and get ready for the next chair. So it's something to be aware of. Yeah. And that's, I mean, John, I'm, I'm going to echo everything that, that's already been said. That, that is a remarkable experience from a line office perspective. I mean, certainly again, nothing to, to say bad about my lodge, but when I was, you know, I don't even remember that when I was asked to join the line that I was even told what I was doing. Um, I, I distinctly remember being told that I needed to bring pie every <laughs> other stated meeting as junior steward. And I'm pretty sure that's where it ended. And I've, I've said this several times on this podcast, off this podcast, I was told that I needed to bring pie once every two months. And now all of a sudden I have a purple apron. I don't know what happened in between, but here we are. Those must um, have been damn good pies. They, listen, <laughs> I, they were great. Um, I'm, but I'm going to say- up to the store on the way home. <laughs> yeah, right. Shaw's. Um, but- I'm, I think it's very interesting, you know, that, that you were approached and given the full scope or as much scope as you can be given, but also the the mentorship program that really does seem to echo, like Chris said, the Grand Lodge experience. And I think that's where you see the strength in, in a progressive line. One of the things that I kind of wanted to touch on tonight, and this, is, this may be a touchy subject, but is, um, is bad fits, right? So you've got an officer you appoint as a junior steward, okay? And in that that period of, of time, uh, they may serve a one, two, four, whatever, X number of years before they get to senior deacon. What happens if that potential line officer uh, or that current line officer isn't a great fit for the line? Um, and, and really, how do you rectify that situation? And what should you do there to, to maintain the integrity of your lodge officer line going forward? But also make sure that that brother is either uh, not going to east, or or is better prepared for it based on the conversations you've been having. So really, where do we fall when we have a, a, a bad fit, somebody who may not be a, a great master? Well, I think that I think the I mean the ritual says what the duties of the master are. Um, you know to you know to preserve the harmony of the lodge to you know to do everything that they can to preserve the integrity of what we do um, and, and to maintain the strength of the lodge and the line. And I, I think the most important piece of that for any, from any master when he makes appointments is to set expectations. Right. And, and I think you kind of touched on that, Tim, right. Um, if we're not, if we're not setting those expectations, those conversations become a lot more difficult. Um, because if you haven't communicated what you expect out of somebody, uh, when the time comes, it, it's going to, it's going to be, it's going to be a challenge. Um, and we're an organization that wants to maintain harmony, that wants to 
have brothers feel as though that they're included. And it's a tough, tough situation to be in as a master to then say, you know what, this isn't working out. Um, so it's, it's, it's harder in the, in the position in which you have not done that, uh, not laid everything out, especially not only just when you appoint somebody, but, but laying out sort of, uh, the expectations over time and, and having successive masters sort of communicate their expectations in that way so that there is sort of this, again, progressive understanding of, okay, if I'm in this position, this is going to be is what's expected of me. But the master is going to have it, his own uh, particular sets of expectations because he's going to bring, bring his particular uh, brand to 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 how he leads in the east and, and so that's that's going to be important from from day one but again understanding setting setting those expectations and setting uh, really identifying what the goals of the lodge are and what the goals of the position are early is is extraordinarily important to be able to help to maintain that that harmony well so we got a comment in in the chat from um from Bo, um, who says it comes to the vote, but often, you know, or in my opinion, right, the masters who are promoting these individuals through the progressive line should be not even allowing it to get to a vote by, by removing those potential issues prior to uh, your elected officer position. So typically, a master has unilateral authority to appoint whoever he chooses as a senior, senior or junior steward, senior or junior deacon. Um, so, I think that the, the point of whispering good counsel is very important, but what do, what do we do to replace those individuals? So this kind of talks about filling the hole again. Um, I know that I, I didn't skip any chairs, but I short uh, sat in, in a couple. I think I did a year as senior steward, a year as junior deacon um, because some people left. Um, and Todd Ladd brings up, Tom Ladd brings up a good point about uh, allowing new affiliates to, to come into the lodge who may not have been able to get into the officer line uh, to be integrated into that line. Um, when you're filling a hole in the line, say your senior deacon as, as, you know, right before he's heading to that, that chair decides that he doesn't want to do this. What's the best approach? Obviously you can move the whole line up, right. Or you can slot somebody in. Um, and I think both of those have, you know, good and bad aspects. So I want to talk about that. You know, Scott, what would a sitting master, you need to appoint a senior deacon. You're the guy you thought was going to sit there. Doesn't want to sit there. What are you going to do? Well, I mean, it's unfortunately, it's one of those things that you have to look at it from different perspectives based on what chair it is. Yeah. When you're looking at an appointed chair, you know, Tim, if you were going to be, if I was thinking you were going to be the senior deacon because you served as junior deacon for the last set of terms and you come to me and say, look, I'm not, I'm not interested in moving on. That's a very different question and, and discussion than your junior warden saying, I don't want to move on. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so yeah. It's, it's a huge difference in, in how you approach it. The biggest challenge I think you have to have whenever you're filling a hole, and this goes back to the lodge culture. If the lodge culture is progressive and you will continue to progress through the chairs regardless. And, you know, I realize that that's an old tradition that some lodges still maintain where if you start, you finish. That's that's all there is to it. So if you're looking at filling a hole in that type of environment, the biggest question you have to ask anyone you're considering appointing is, are you willing to finish the, the line? And that limits a lot of individuals as far as who you could possibly ask. Because there are a lot of past masters out there who will say, I'm not interested in being master again. 
you know, I'll, I'll, I'll fill in for you. And that's a, that's a piece of the puzzle that you can also do is you could just, you don't necessarily have to appoint, you don't necessarily have to elect, you can just do a per diem, you know, a, a pro tem, you know, it's, you know, Hey, I, I, I did that my first year's master. I did not have uh, an individual I thought would be a good fit for junior deacon. So I appointed every single meeting, every single communication, we appointed a, a junior deacon. More often than not, I tapped a, uh, my, my father because he knew the role and, you know, let's face it, he's there and I get to look at him at the other end of the room, keep him away from me. Uh, but <laughs> he's, I, unfortunately, he's not here to defend wow. himself, but I, I, he'd probably say the same thing about me. Uh, and I'm sure I guarantee you in a couple of years, your son will be saying the same thing about you. Oh, oh why, I think he's already why, saying that. Why do you think Fair enough, he, but he doesn't Tyler. have the power yet? I'm Tyler. I mean, you know, what, what else can you ask for? Can't, I think you can't get further away. No, but I, I think, think that's that's one of the big pieces is that when you start to look at how do I fill the line, that has to be part of the question. You know, if, if we slot you in to fill this hole that we suddenly have, are you willing to continue on and finish the line? Or are you just interested in being here just for the, you know, for the one year so people can move up behind you? Uh, you know, those are parts of the, the conversation that have to happen. And it's a little bit more difficult, I think, to fill a hole for the further up the line you go, because now you're dealing with the, oh, well, now we no longer have a senior warden because he doesn't want to progress. You know, the junior warden doesn't want to move on or heaven forbid your senior warden right before he's supposed to step into the east says, nope, sorry, can't do it. You know, all of the thought processes and planning are now moved. Yeah. And I, I think that and this might be somewhat of an unpopular opinion uh, among some, and I know John Ramsdell earlier said about Rising Sun, you know, we, there are no officers in the line that are past masters, which is wonderful, of course, right? You, 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 want, you want guys that, you know, you, you, you want fresh guys in those chairs if you can, but there is something to be said about slotting in a past master if needed, the right past master um, in, in that role, even, even for a short period of time. Um, you know, helps to maintain some of that strength. Obviously, that person has that knowledge. I think Scott, I mean, obviously your father was a past master. Same, same, same situation, right? Um, it, it, it can be, uh, you know, past masters. I am one. Uh, all of us are one at this point, uh, including you, John. Um, you know, we can also be pains in the butt. And so, no. uh, you, you know... <laughs> all of us at some point or another are a pain in the butt in our lodge in reference to, you know, for, to that stuff. So you have to be careful, right? You know, you, you want to be there as a past master to be able to support, uh, to be able to execute, help to execute the will of the worshipful master, train guys around you and, and give that time so that if, if there is a, a, an officer junior to you that, that needs that more time to give it to them and give them instructions so that when they do move, and that past master steps back out, it, it maintains the integrity of the line, and and hopefully the 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 the, the officers below him have have got, gotten more out of that um, uh, out of that experience. So, no, go ahead. I was just going to say um, something has been sort of skirting around is, and I don't mean to imply that anyone's avoiding it, but it's one of the what I call the brittle aspects of the progressive line. And that is, you know, we look at its purpose and all agree that it can have wonderful benefits if you have um, the right set of dedicated brethren to go through it and they're all 
potentially good masters. Um, you know, you, it's, it's a wonderful mentoring program. They can all learn from each other. You have continuity um, uh, with the officers of the line. I mean, it, just think of all the past masters you're going to be generating who have all worked with each other before. Um, but when it starts to not work because you have guys who are dropping out of the line or you're not gener you're not raising enough master masons to come in at the at the bottom of it and you're trying to avoid things like recycling past masters or asking a brother to step out because it's just not working or forcing brethren to move up the line whether they're ready or not because well it's time to move up and then the the line itself can be an anchor around the neck of of the lodge because you're trying to slavishly adhere to the purpose of the line but it's it's no longer able to uh to really operate in the best interest of the lodge as a whole for the given period of time when perhaps plugging in a past master or two even if they do have to go all the way to the east even just for a year um you know maybe that's the best approach um for a given lodge at a given point in time at a given time yeah, and you know cult, at lodge culture yeah i mean that's right. what it boils down to and 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 what resources that you have in the moment because there are lodges that simply uh there are many lodges you know uh, mine has been one of those lodges from one to, at one time or another that just don't there's just really no one else right uh, yeah. in those moments so uh, you you do have to make the best decision that you can for masonry for the lodge for the brethren well i think john just made an argument against a progressive line you know, it is because i mean if you look at it it's one of those things where you know maybe you don't move people up just because they sat maybe you take a look at yeah. who actually has the 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 chops for lack of a better term to go ahead and say you know gee i think you know out of everybody we've got we should really think about re-electing you know worshipful busby back to the to the east because he's the best man for the job at this time you know, assuming he's agreeable to it, you know, and we're going to appoint, you know, Tim as our senior deacon, because we really need a strong person in that role. We got a lot of candidates coming through. He's the best man for the job versus the, well, just because Scott was junior deacon last year, he gets to be senior deacon this year. You know, it's, it's, it's something that, you know, not a lot of lodges look at, you know, because it does eliminate the predictability and the stability because you never know what you're going to have year to year because you're making the decisions based on what's best for the lodge at the time. Well, so uh, one of the questions I had, right, is do we sort of force the progressive line on our constituent lodges with our requirements to serve as, as master of a lodge, right? You know, well, there's, there's, arguments already, there's already one against. requirement. That requirement is serving as a warden for at least six months. Right, but that's it. I mean, but you don't have to serve as any other chair prior to being a warden. That's true, but do, is there a potential that by requiring a, a previous junior position, we inherently build a, a reliance on a progressive line? Probably, but that may not necessarily be a bad thing. I mean, having a brother who has been a Mason, say a very active Mason, He's a ritualistic expert, um, very knowledgeable in Masonic history, it, whatever. He's, he's been around the block a few times for you know as much as 20 years or something, and suddenly, but, but has never been an officer, and suddenly wants to become master, sits as warden for a year, and then becomes master, you know, probably will do pretty well. But a brand new master mason, 
suddenly becoming a master in less than two years if if a if foisting a progressive line onto a lodge just by culture can kind of prevent that and make him take longer i think i'd be in favor of that because of the the uh ancillary benefits because he's just he, yeah he could be in the east but he's not going to be a good master I, and that does make a lot of sense i i do see that argument that but you know it's an interesting conversation when we have these requirements and, and we see the way brethren progress the only way to become a warden is to get elected and generally the easiest way to do that is to, to prove your medal by showing up as a junior officer so as a junior officer you know the progressive line makes that easy um so it's it's an interesting sort of uh question is you know do we allow for an alternative to the system well, if I remember correctly, I, I don't believe there's anything in the system as far as requirements other than that one requirement for master. Any, uh, anybody can be elected to a chair. Anybody can be appointed to any appointed positions. The only requirement is you have to be a master mason. In good standing. Yep. So if you yeah, want to be, a... if you want to be senior deacon, as long as you're in good standing as a master mason, you can be senior deacon provided you're appointed. But one of the things that comes up when you when you think about it, and John, you you mentioned something. You know, you've got a brother; he's well versed in the you know the history. He knows the ritual. You know, he's a likable guy. Everybody, you know, he's he just feels like he's a natural leader for the lodge. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't want to be a leader. So you know, it's it's you know, and those one that's one of the challenges that you have is you get one of those brothers that everybody wants. Oh, it'd be great to see him as master. We need to get him as master. Well, he doesn't want to be master. You know, but, but, but what if he does want to be master, but he doesn't want to be junior steward? He doesn't want to be senior steward. He doesn't want to be junior deacon. Well, that's when it comes yeah. back to the lodge culture. If the lodge culture says you must serve, then you must serve. Now, I think, Scott, you just kind of bring up an interesting point that that's, I've seen and it's popped in my head. And that is identifying brothers and saying, wow, you know, you'd really make a great master six months after they become a master mason and saying, Hey, you want to get in line. You want to get in line. You want to get in line. And, and, and look there again, we have lodges that have need, no question about that, but what kind of disservice do we do by saying you're going to be master one day, right? Not too long after they come off, you know, the proverbial master mason boat and land on our shores and, and are really just getting their heads wrapped around all of this. And then we say, okay, we, and, we and want you. And I, listen, I know for a fact that I, I was that guy. I know Chris was that guy. I, I passed on being that guy. Uh, I was actually, get, I was actually I, asked to be yeah. junior steward, which was part of the progressive line of the lodge I joined uh, before the night of my master mason degree was over. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 uh, they were, I was shaking hands with, <laughs> wow. with the, the members of the lodge, you know, after the degree. And the gentleman who was going to be master of the lodge asked me if I was interested in being the junior steward. Yikes. So, I mean, of course, you know, you have to understand uh, the pedigree. So, you know, dad was a past master. The name was known in the in the building, in the fraternity. So it's like the, the assumption was I was just going to go ahead and say yes. Uh, I said no because I had another year of college left. So. And I, I think that's that's the thing that, like Chris said, right? You're asking a guy to, to be master of a lodge in somewhere between let's call it five and, and 15 years, right? And that guy's been a Mason for 15 minutes. How, how do we justify making this? I know, obviously, listen, I'm, we are not necessarily uh, 
people of choice here. We may we do things because we have to in a lot of cases. I think that's what happens more often than not. It's the we've got to fill this chair. And we're not ju- we're not judging situ- uh, certainly no. we're not ju- judging any situation in which that has to happen, right? Because it was they absolutely are. Yeah, Chris like was master in five years before I was even I think senior deacon. Yeah. Um, Chris was initiated uh, three or four months after I was. Yeah. Um, but I, I was also hung- hungry and impatient. Um, yeah, you're myself still at that time. Any of those things. Thank you. Um, oh, I, I just ate, so thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? What kind of disservice do we do ourselves? And I think Scott, you kind of hit the nail on the head, right? We we may need to fill that position, but we don't need to install somebody into that position. No, you don't. Uh, you know, like I said, when I was master. Uh, I didn't fill the junior deacon's chair by appointment. I just did, you know, a, a pro tem a permit the first year by meeting because I didn't have anybody. The second year I, w- I went in as master, I had someone I could appoint them. But I'll be honest with you, when I started the line, I was a fill in. I was a pro tem myself. The individual that was supposed to take the chair just suddenly dropped off the face of the earth. Or the, you know, the word on the vine was, you know, the family business needed him. So he went and did that. And I filled the chair for six months before the master walked over and asked me if I wanted to be installed as the junior deacon. So, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's a challenge because when you need the f- chair filled, you need the chair filled. And I think a lot of lodges aren't comfortable leaving a chair empty. You know, they want to have someone associated with the chair. And when you yeah. leave the chair empty, it, it, it's for a lot of people, it's uncomfortable, but sometimes it's the right decision. Well, my first year, I didn't have any stewards, and that's—I I understand that's fairly common in most lodges. It's not common at Horace Chase. Um, we always have stewards, and it was quite uncomfortable not having them for a regular stated meeting. No big deal, really. But for degree work, every time we did a degree, I had to find a couple of guys to uh, uh, to be stewards. I could get them, a little you know, heavy lifting that needs to be done there. Yeah. A little bit, yeah. Um, and even high. thinking about the uh, the, the deacons. Um, I was trying to imagine what it would be like having pro tem uh, junior or senior deacon junior deacon not so bad as senior deacon of course but you know thinking about again all those you know degrees that you're going to be doing i got to find some not a, a steward i can find a warm body pretty much and and quickly yeah. teach them the floor work for for a degree and they'll they'll muddle uh, through it junior deacon a little harder senior deacon that's not going to happen i need to find somebody who who knows the ritual or can at least learn it yeah yeah that's that's when you turn to the corner full of past masters grumbling to themselves and say right. listen i need somebody to do something but and if you're lucky one of them says yes yeah, yeah. well absolutely um so i was i was thinking there's some an aspect of this we haven't really talked about, and we didn't even talk about it a couple of weeks ago when we first discussed this topic, is the history of where progressive lines came from. Because I was just thinking about Anderson's Constitution, um, I, in which we're celebrating its 300th anniversary this year. Uh, there was no concept of a progress. You couldn't even build a progressive line out of the way mm-hmm. the officers are defined in Anderson's Constitution. Um, the idea is you have a master who's installed who then appoints his wardens. Um, I don't even recall necessarily if deacons are there or not. Um, it, the wardens aren't even elected. Even in the Grand Lodge, I don't think they were elected. They had pretty tightly defined duties. Um, but in, in a constituent lodge, as I recall, the master would take the most, essentially the most seasoned fellow of the craft and appoint him as his warden, as his, his primary educator 
of the brethren in the in the lodge. And that was pretty much it. Uh, you did have a handful of other officers who had specific duties, but there was no line. There, you, you really couldn't imagine a line. That said, there was a concept of progression in seniority, if you will, just amongst the brethren as a whole. Yeah. Um, there are some some wonderful uh, woodcuts from the 18th century, for example, that show uh, where a the, the newest entered apprentice, for example, would be placed in the lodge, and there's like an arch of all of the brethren going around the room, and they were placed in terms of seniority. Uh, and in some respects, we still have that today. Thinking about where where is the youngest entered apprentice placed versus where do the past masters tend to sit? Um, it's that same balance. Uh, so. From between there and today, somewhere, the progressive line was born. I don't know where that was. I don't know how long it took, but. It's interesting that you bring that up, John, because when I, I hear you talking through that, it's a progression based on experience and seniority, not based on someone's choice or a vote. Except for the master. Right. So if yeah. you take if you take a look at that, you, you get into a situation where you have a lodge, you've got brothers that have been in the fraternity 10, 15, 20 years. You would think they're fairly well versed, at least in the in the running of a lodge, the basics of the ritual, those kinds of things. But yet the master has been a, a master mason for four years. So it's it's just it's an interesting you know thought process that you know you see the see the how it was done where it's based on seniority as you go around the room and now it's the whoever's willing to pick up the mantle. Well, a lot of we done a lot of what we've we've done in masonry over the, the course of those years is out of out of at least at the time perceived necessity, and, and is and I don't mean innovation in the way that it sounds dirty to to masons, but is an innovation in that. You know, uh, as lodges became more numerous, as masonry became more popular, as more brethren joined the craft, you needed to have some sort of structure. Um, at some point, I think the brethren at the time would have felt that they needed some structure in order to be able to guide uh, guide folks along in the process. And as grand lodges came into existence, and grand lodge governments became, you know, large governance became more complicated. Then, then more of that information needed to be passed down. I mean, we've created, you know, the system of Freemasonry is is more complex now than it's ever been, um, in 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 many different aspects. And so, I, I think that happened. The problem is then is that when you when you go some the opposite way for a time, as Masonry has, it's shrunk, right? You don't have you don't have the guys sort of um, vying for. And you know what I what I mean, you know, trying to you know uh, do the best they can in order to compete with each other in a friendly way to then hopefully be appointed. You you really have sort of not the opposite of that, but you know by necessity by those that are willing to participate. And so I, I think that that changes very much the dynamic of of what of what a progressive line ends up being in that scenario. So I'm going to pose a question. Right. And this, you know, we can kind of use this question to, to head towards the end of the episode. But I want to know, we know that there are Grand Lodges that don't use a progressive line, right? The Grand Lodge of Massachusetts, we've had a uh, past Grand Master of Massachusetts on this podcast tell us that they don't use a progressive line like we do. 
They're, they have elected wardens. There's a pool. Of, and again, I don't remember how it all worked. It seemed very complicated uh, and to me. Uh, but is there a system, especially at the Blue Lodge level, right? When we talk about Grand Lodge, it's a little bit easier to not have a progressive line because you generally have a pool of Grand Lodge officers. You have a pool of past masters. And if you limit eligibility to those individuals, obviously you, you get a more experienced and potentially ready crop of individuals. At the Blue Lodge level, is there a system it, that works for the Grand Lodge, for the, for the progressive, or for the line, sorry? Is there another alternative where you just appoint officers and they may be gone next year and never seen again? Like, is that is that an alternative that would work in today's masonry? I think it just depends on the individual lodge. I mean, there's there's uh, um, Phoenix Lodge, for example. Um, most people would probably not consider it a traditional blue lodge because it doesn't tend to bring masons up from nothing to eventually become master. Um, it tends to attract a lot more seasoned masons a lot of i mean it's almost like a mini grand lodge if you will because you know so many of the members are past masters um or, or even wearing purple aprons that every year they can follow the very traditional andersonian method of who's the best person to be in a particular chair um and part of that is the length of their cable toe um because you know chris you might be the you know absolute best person to be master next year but if your cable toe is not long enough to do that then it's not appropriate to put you in that position. Um, other lodges may be so small and be part of such a small community that they get so few new brethren coming in that really having a progressive line just doesn't work for them. And it's the whole spectrum. And well, it doesn't, yeah. it's not even static for a given lodge. It's going to change dynamically over time. But I think the challenge is, is that the lodge has to accept that as their yes. method of doing things going forward. Yeah. And I think that's where part of the, the challenge is. And I realize I'm going to invoke the word we all hate. It's tradition to do a progressive line in most lodges. And that's where you, you start to run up against the, well, we've always done it this way. So we're going to continue to do it this way. And we'll muddle through and figure something out versus like what you said john who's the best person for the job at this point it really should be that way in my opinion but it's a major mindset shift for a lot of lodges yep well you, and it, it personal opinion as to what constitutes the best person for a given job is also important the, uh, well the know, other for thing, example thinking of the master um for me i would like to see someone who has sat in a variety of chairs because it demonstrates a level of commitment, um, uh, not just to masonry as a whole and to the lodge, but also to learning different parts of ritual. Um, you know, somebody may be an absolutely fantastic leader, but if they haven't wrought in the quarries right in the lodge, you know, I, I would lean more towards somebody else, necessarily, you know, possibly. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's a, it's, like I said, it's a big mindset shift. I mean, you know, it's, you know, the other thing I think that's, that causes challenges for us is, we don't like to it goes back to the harmony of the lodge no one wants to see conflict when's the last time you saw multiple people stand for elected position it's a rarity yeah. certainly and, not not often outside of a secretary or treasurer position and it usually brings disharmony yeah 
I mean, yeah. I, I have seen elections. I've been involved with, with elections where it's been multiple people. Uh, I actually sat in a lodge meeting where they had four individuals stand to be master of the lodge that year. Uh, there was there was concerns about the current master. There was concerns about the senior warden moving up. Uh, there was concerns about uh, another individual who was qualified as past master. You know, he's a past master of another lodge. And it was an interesting election. You know, because it, it then shifted things around as far as the rest of the chairs go, because there were people that, you know, well, why didn't you stand for senior warden or junior warden or, you know, one of the other elected positions? And, you know, you know, the, it's a brother's choice. I'm interested in being master of the lodge. I think I could do a good job there. Don't really want to sit in the other lodge in the other chairs. Did so, I mean, can I ask real quick, Scott? Yep. In that contested election, did the guy who everybody expected to become master get elected? It was interesting because there really was no clear cut. This is what the lodge was expecting. Okay. I, I think the, the, at the end of the day, the master was probably a, a needed master for the lodge, but maybe not necessarily what the lodge was expecting. Okay. Because that, see, the thing that, that the progressive line does, in my opinion, is it tells the lodge, right? The lodge essentially gets rid of all responsibility for themselves to, to vote. And it just tells the lodge who they need to vote for. And you see this at Grand Lodge. You certainly see it in some lodges where you've got a list of these are the last year's officers. Yep. They're all standing for next year's officers. Here you go. And I, I think I, that, I, that absolves the response that absolves the lodge of responsibility from actually it, making a decision. It does. I have seen a warden voted out of office, though. And the brother who was voted out of office took it very hard. I can imagine. So, I mean, you know, and it's, it, it's, I, I know from where I was sitting that night, it was uncomfortable to watch because, you know, you know, my lodge elects, you know, in October and then you're sitting there for a couple of months, you know, you're on your way out. You're not, don't have an office for next year. It, it makes it a real uncomfortable situation for that individual and for the rest of the lodge, especially those that who thought he would be good to continue on in that particular role or move up to the next role. But the, the will of the lodge spoke and said, no, we don't think you're right for it. We, we as Masons have to be self-aware. I think probably more so than, than most as far as what our abilities are and what we've contributed to the lodge. And, and I, I feel sometimes as though that we lose focus on what being an officer of a lodge is. You are a servant. Right. You, it's service, right? At the at the very end of the day, every, all the pomp and circumstance out the window. You're there as a servant leader at every station. Um, I've heard it said many times, you know, once a steward, always a steward. Uh, once an ender apprentice, always. And it's the same sort of concept. And I think that it pervades Freemasonry is that we, we need to keep our minds on on target to the idea that we are here to serve the brethren. We are here to serve the lodge. We are here to enrich each other's lives and to enrich and, and maintain and be stewards of the future of the lodge. And if we can't do that at a particular time as a particular person in a particular position, then we shouldn't. Um, and, and that's where sort of, you know, again, you know, humans are, now, egotistical creatures, all of us are, and and sort of that that 
we end up butting heads and, and, and really pulling away from, I think, the purpose of masonry. So I think part of it is, is just maintaining as an officer, maintaining that humility and that sense of service to understand that. And it is a meritocracy what we do, right? A progressive line is meant to be a meritocracy. A lodge line is meant to be a meritocracy that if, as, as long as we're keeping those things in mind, then if it doesn't work out for us along the line, then we should be able to be prepared to say, you know what? I'm not the right guy at, at this time. I'm going to go ahead and step aside. And so... Again, it all comes down to how we communicate these things. And again, humans are humans. We're gonna; these things are gonna happen. It's not masonry. Isn't this you know? Uh, is is not this sort of utopian panacea of everything that always works all the time? It doesn't. But it is an ideal that that we hope that we're going to maintain. And, and those are the things that I think that I hope that we would uh, maintain focus on. Yeah. I- you know, I, I sit here having talked about all this stuff and, and I don't know, I don't know what the solution is. I don't know if a progressive line that pushes brothers ahead who are potentially not ready uh, is necessarily the best choice or or if there's there's another alternative. I mean, we're not here to necessarily solve that question or answer that question, but it, it's it's interesting that, that there are alternatives and, and, and we may just, you know, we haven't necessarily found the right one yet. I think it's a it's a situation where the lodge itself needs to have the conversation. Oh, you know, absolutely. Does, does this make sense for us? We've been doing it this way for the last hundred years. Does it still make sense? Does it make sense now? Now and then in in two, three, five years, does it make sense? Right now, uh, because these generations, our generations, as we go through, right? You think of a generation of brothers, a brother that goes through the line. Those are relatively short periods periods of time, and our lodges change actually very quickly. Well, you know, we're you know my home lodge right now is in is right on the cusp of a major shift because yeah. our junior officers right now are literally the sons of ex- the existing officers. So we're about to have a generational shift going into right. the you know into the yeah. officer you know as the officers come up, and that's huge. You know, they've got a different approach to stuff. You know, luckily, you know they're the young men that are coming up have got good heads on their shoulders. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're both senior DMLAs. So they've been around the the block, at least at, at a lower level, but you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how they approach, how to, how they run a lodge and how they handle the, the situations. You know, I remember when I sat and I'm sure all of you can remember a time too, where you sat in the East and suddenly had to counsel a brother who was, chronologically you're senior and masonically you're senior and it's not an easy thing to do so it'll be interesting to see how they how the next generation handles it yeah and i think that's always going to be a challenge for any progressive line you know you've always got guys coming in who are relatively new relatively fresh have different ideas and, and have to speak a little bit of truth to power sometimes yep um with that you know, we've talked a lot about this this topic. I think there's there's been a lot of good things said. It's it's an interesting topic that I think I could talk about for a very long time. I've certainly been talking about it for years in, in private conversations. Um, you know, but any closing thoughts about the progressive line, about the way we we handle those officer positions? We'll just kind of go around the clock here, John. Um, I think I've I've been on the fence for a long time about whether it's a good idea or not. I think there are some pros and cons both ways, and it's just up to the lodge. Uh, that said, 
I, I will take a, a page from what I did a few months ago as we were approaching our elections last year. And I, I think that I would hope that this was beneficial to my lodge, unless I do a polling, there's no way to really be able to know. But I reminded the lodge that even though we have a progressive line and it is generally speaking very successful, um, its purpose is for mentoring officers and as a proving ground for those officers. But it is not a golden ticket to the East. Um, there's no legal basis behind it at all. Um, it's a great tool, but it's a tool for the Lodge um, and for the Brethren of the Lodge. And the officers, the appointed officers, all serve at the pleasure of the Master, but the elected officers serve at the pleasure of the Lodge. We are all, like Chris said earlier, we are all servants. Um, and if you know, we we need to continually be improving ourselves and pr and proving ourselves as officers, both to our superiors within the line and also to the lodge, um, and that's that's a message both of the officers within the line in order to remind them that hey, you're not just going to get a free ride. You have to keep proving yourself. But to the to the brethren that if you're not happy, be involved. Yep. Uh, and I think that'd be a helpful message to any lodge. No, I, I think that's a that is a great thought, uh, Chris. Just very basic for me is you know, listen listen to the brethren. Um, do what you what you need to do for your lodge now. Traditions are wonderful, um, but traditions if if mismanaged can could do you harm too. So. Think of think of what's working for your lodge now. In, involve your brethren. Um, make plans. Communicate those plans. If you make longer term plans, something we didn't cover, we talked about the other day. Make longer term plans and involve the officers, involve the brethren in those plans. And you can't you can't make everyone happy. You can't get everyone to agree. Certainly, never going to do that. If you do, you're 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 going to be in trouble. But Try to try to try to at least create a, a vision for what the lodge should be, and I think that if you do that, and and you put the right guys in line, that 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 vision uh, helps to perpetuate uh, a common a common goal and a common feel for the for the lodge going forward. Scott, I think the the big thing to take away from all this is to have a conversation. You know, especially with lodges that are struggling to fill the line or even lodges that have, you know, a stack of brothers that are that want to get into the line. Have the conversation. Understand what you want the lodge to do and to become. You know, like Chris said, traditions are wonderful. So they hamper us and, and prevent us from doing our best work. And I think that's one of the big challenges of, of masonry in general. Not to take the tradition and throw it away but to hold it up to the light and say is this the right tradition for our lodge should we experiment and try something a little different even if it's for a short period of time you know maybe you know decide that you know what the junior warden's chair is an open election anybody who feels they're qualified should be able to stand and and you know be considered versus the expectation that you've got to serve as a senior deacon to get there you know, take a look at those types of traditions in your lodges and say, is this really the right way our lodge should be going now, given younger Masons, Masons that haven't been in the fraternity as long, a shortage of the Masons we need to fill the line. Take a look at them. Have the conversation. Maybe at the end of the day, you stay with what you've got, and then maybe you make a few shifts and do some kind of hybrid that we haven't really talked about here yet tonight. So it's it's that's my biggest suggestion to any lodge. If you 
feel that you're being hampered, take a minute and have that conversation. But be sure to include all of the active brethren. You know, don't leave someone off on the side who's not, you know, you know I'll, I'll say, don't leave the Tyler outside so he doesn't know what's going on. You know, make sure you include everybody because maybe someone's got an idea that you haven't thought of yet. Yeah, I think to, to close this out, I think we, we've had a lot of good conversation. John, I, I really love, you know, the, the mentorship and, and the way that you talked about how your lodge handles that that progression. I mean, Horace Chase obviously has a number of past grandmasters amongst their membership, and it appears some of those lessons uh, from the Grand Lodge may have made their way to the lodge level. But I think what Scott and Chris just said is very important. Have those conversations. Involve everyone. Um and and really this is a decision of the lodge you know as much as important as it is to, to to elect a master it's important to understand every other officer position and what your role and responsibility is as a member of that lodge this is a valuable conversation to bring home to your own lodges and uh i wish everybody luck i hope we, we were able to impart some wisdom or at least uh at least provide enjoyable conversation but thank you all for joining us i uh, thank you to our panel this evening and uh have a good night everyone